You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. We are starting a new series today in the book of James. We'll do this for uh, about six weeks. And uh, I love the book of James for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one is the author of the book of James. Now, you may think James. There's a lot of Jameses that show up in the New Testament. I wonder which one it could be. In case you haven't counted lately, there are actually five Jameses that show up in the New Testament. Uh, helpfully, most of the time, they are identified in one way or another. So you meet in the Gospels, James, son of Zebedee. You meet James, son of Alphaeus. You meet James, son of Mary. And then there's a James who's the father of Judas. And then a few places we meet James, the brother of Jesus, our Lord. Now, you may be wondering, how in the world do we begin to figure out who the James is that wrote this letter? So we're going to read a few verses in a few minutes, a few minutes and uh, we'll discover he doesn't identify himself. But I'm inclined to think that that's one of the biggest most helpful indicators, because if you take those five options and list them out, which one needs no introduction? The brother of our Lord, James the Just, as he came to be known in church tradition, the leader of the congregation in Jerusalem. So we have before us a a letter, a sermon, composed by the brother of our Lord himself. We'll dig into the dynamics of that a little bit more and how it influences our reading. The other reason I like James is because James is very, very, very practical. Now, some folks like James for his practicality, others don't. (laughs) Because James is one of those guys who pulls no punches. He's not afraid to kind of drive in where it hurts and call you on things and open up place for the, places for the Holy Spirit to do some work that maybe we don't want him to work. James is practical. He deals with all sorts of things like patience, <laughs> wisdom, how to respond faithfully in times of testing and trial, things we all experience on a regular basis. So if you have your Bible, let's read the opening verses of the book of James. Get a feel for what he's up to. James writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So right from the start, you've got James. He identifies himself and just calls it like he sees it. People deal with trouble, disappointment. Things will happen. Trials, temptations, challenges. When those things happen, he says, consider it joy. Now that's not our typical initial, hey, I'm having a really hard day. I'm feeling a lot of joy. (laughs) And James knows that's not where we normally go. But that's where he goes 
And he doesn't pat it to begin with. There's no kind of sugarcoating. There's no nice rhetorical flourish. Nice to see you. Happy to be writing to you. I hear things are going well. He just jumps in with painful, hard, challenging stuff in the opening verses. Consider it nothing but joy, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete. You could translate that whole. Lacking in nothing. Verse 5, if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up. The rich in being brought low. Because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat. Withers and and withers the field. Its flower falls. Its beauty perishes. And it's the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life they will wither away. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, how grateful we are that your commitment to us doesn't waver with our circumstances. As we reflect on the way you want to work in us, in our circumstances, our prayer is that you draw us to yourself and renew us in your image. We give thanks in your name. Amen. So show of hands, I don't do this often, but I'm going to today. How many of us, at least once in life, have experienced disappointment. I was afraid only three people would raise their hands, but we're feeling honest today. That's good. We can, we can have uh, some safe space, right? We get to church. We can deal with those kinds of things. James, and that illustrates the point for us, that James is interested in dealing with these common experiences that all of us share, and all of us, we've been there, we know what it feels like to be disappointed. Chances are you've been disappointed today. I have. We got in this morning, we're trying some new technology, and the entire internet decides what? It's going to reset itself a few minutes before worship starts. How about disappointment right there? Let's just set things off kilter. So even here in this place where we're preparing to worship, we are liable to challenges and disappointments. And so James just opens his letter and says, hey, whenever it's going to happen, could be Sunday, could be Wednesday, Wednesday, anytime, whenever you face trials, consider it pure joy. Now, a lot of times in the New Testament, when trials and testing come up, the author is talking about persecution. James may have that in mind, but it doesn't look like from this letter that that's the main thing he's thinking about. It sounds like, really, he, he, he just leaves this as this unqualified of any kind kind of thing. He doesn't narrow it down to trials of this sort or narrow it down to disappointments of that sort or narrow it down to trials of this kind. He says, trials of any kind. Maybe you had a bad day at work. Maybe you and your spouse got in a fight. Maybe your children are making bad decisions. Maybe, you know, fill in the blank. You've probably already got a variety of things coming to mind. 
My expectations have not been met in this area of my life. James says, in every one of those situations, in all of them, consider it pure joy. And why do you consider it pure joy? Because James has this bigger picture in view that that's the time that God wants to be at work in your life. James is honest about the reality of trials and challenges, but he, is also under, he also understands that those challenges need to be oriented in a world where God is at work. The thing he wants his original recipients to understand, the thing he wants us to understand, bottom line for James, when life disappoints us, God wants to renew us. When life disappoints us, God wants to renew us. How can we respond faithfully by God's grace to the trials, challenges, disappointments, all those kind of things that come up in our lives? For James, identity is central. He doesn't say this outright, but it shows up in the way he describes himself. It's striking in verse 1, he simply describes himself as a servant. Some translations may say a slave. The stronger translation there may be really the, the favorable one. But he defines himself not with regard to his family, which was common in the ancient world. Here he is, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't even mention that. He simply says, my name is James I'm a servant of God, and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's striking about that is, there's no evidence in the New Testament whatsoever that while Jesus was engaged in His public ministry, before His crucifixion, that James was on board. In fact, He probably wasn't. And if you read through the Gospels, you discover that Jesus' family was not really excited about the kinds of things that He was doing. You read through the Gospels, He's out there... You know, healing people and exercising demons and his mother and his brother show up and say, can you just come back in the house for a few minutes? Just come on back. A little bit worried about this. It's kind of embarrassing. We'd rather you not do those kinds of things. You're drawing unnecessary attention. Just stop it and come on over. And Jesus does not oblige them and goes on about his ministry. But the evidence suggests that while Jesus was engaged in his public ministry, James was not on board. He wasn't a follower. He wasn't a part of the original 12 apostles. He was likely, maybe not overtly antagonistic, but at least concerned, perhaps embarrassed, of the kinds of things that Jesus, his brother, was up to. And so I begin to imagine, what sort of identity transformation must, have, must James have undergone to go from being sort of standoffish to Jesus' ministry, perhaps embarrassed by it, to being able to say, only a few years, maybe a couple of decades later, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't mention, hey, I'm his brother. Wouldn't that get him an audience? Brother of Jesus here, guys, pay attention. Leader of the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't pull out his resume. He just says, I belong to God and I belong to Jesus. And here's what I've got to say. James' identity 
is central for him. And his identity doesn't, he's not defined by his status, his relationships, social, uh, his social status, his, his income, or maybe where he's from, or what part of the countryside he hails from. He's not touting his family name. All of those things where we kind of, you know, you meet somebody, where are you from? Who are your people? What do you do, right? We're trying to size people up, and we want to know, are you trustworthy? Are you a good person? Can I count on you? And James doesn't play that game. He just says, I belong to God. I belong to Jesus, and that's it. That's about his identity. Not out to manipulate his circumstances. He just belongs to God. It's striking, and it helps us understand how we can face disappointment with faithfulness. Because if we're oriented towards ourselves, I've got expectations for what my life should be like. I've got expectations for what someone with my background should be doing. I've got expectations... Someone with my resources, my name, my reputation, all of those kinds of things. When disappointment comes, or when those things fail us, if I'm identified by the, if if my life is defined by those kinds of things, and they fail me, then I'm like the ship tossed at sea. I'm liable to all sorts of things. I'm liable to disappointment. Disappointment attacks the things that, when, when the things that define me disappoint me, then I'm up and down. My circumstances define my life. But if Jesus defines my life, and Jesus is consistent, regardless of what happens, I can count on Him to be at work for my good. I can hold on to this Reality that when life disappoints, those things don't define me. Jesus defines me, and He's at work to renew me in His image. His image is defined by self-giving love. Because He's the one who carried a cross for you and me. He's the one who looked not to His own interest, but to our He's the one whose arms were stretched, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, so that we can be made whole, complete, mature, lacking in nothing. So we we can learn from James. I want to be identified by circumstances where I live, who I'm related to. I mean, those things are great. It's fine. But at the end of the day, Jesus, the one who loved me, gave His life for me, who purchased my redemption, who gives me new life, who gives me hope, He's the one who defines who I am. He's the one who defines my life. And if He defines my life, then challenges, disappointments, a bad day at work, whatever it is, those become unique opportunities for growth, don't they? Right? If my identity is defined by my vocation, 
and I have a bad day at work, then (laughs) there's not much I can do with that. Who I am is falling apart. But if my identity is defined by Jesus, and I have a bad day at work, then maybe Jesus can come along and say, hey, you know what? Maybe your colleagues need to know what other-oriented love looks like when you're having a bad day. Maybe you have an opportunity to show perfect love to your family when you get home after that bad day. And you really don't feel like doing the perfect love thing. Experience that disappointment, Jesus says, are you going to let me be the one who defines your life and let me be the one who works through you to renew you? And if that kind of transformation can begin to happen, imagine Imagine how much more fulfilling our lives would be. Right? If I'm just racked by disappointment, or if I'm, if I'm susceptible to disappointment, and I just kind of go through life. Maybe you've, had, maybe you've had weeks, maybe you've had months like this. Things have just not gone your way. It's not a pleasant experience. And it's this thing happened over here, and then that thing happened one thing after another. What if we could, in that season of life, allow ourselves to be defined by Jesus and Jesus alone? Would it change our approach to life? Would it change the tone of our homes and our families? Would it change the tone of the church? (laughs) Would it change the tone of our society if the people of God didn't allow disappointment bring them down, but had confidence in Jesus that he would be at work to renew us in those places where we just feel crushed. We trust Jesus that he'll take our disappointments, trials, testings, any kind, use them to reproduce His character in us. Because that's His goal. That's what He's after. Take a look at verse 4. Verses 3 and 4. Right? Consider it joy. It doesn't feel joyful, but consider it joy because in those moments of disappointment, Jesus is at work. God is at work in Christ. And His goal is to produce, when you're faithful, to produce endurance. Now, endurance is one of those one of those things like patience. You'd like to have it, but it's hard to get it. You want to have endurance, but it takes work to get endurance. Reminded of uh, summer workouts in high school. <laughs> endurance didn't come easily, did it? Marriages take endurance. Every time I meet somebody that says, celebrating 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, I just think, wow. Well done. Well done. Church takes endurance, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes sermons take a lot of endurance on the part of the congregation. But what happens for James when that process takes place, when it's formed? He says it has this this effect. It has this, we want the full effect, 
And the full effect, the purpose of that, is your maturity. The Greek word is actually the word for perfection. This full-grown, mature, healthy, whole, complete, lacking in nothing, Christian life. Right? He's describing someone who consistently embodies the character of God in Christ, revealed in Christ, isn't he? Someone who consistently embodies that other-oriented love. Someone who, you know, hey, it's been a rough week, things didn't go the way I wanted them to go, but nevertheless, Jesus wants to work in me to reproduce His character in me for His glory and your good. Love God, love your neighbor. No matter what. That's how Jesus wants to reduce. That's how He renews us. And, and here's the thing, right? It's easy to do that when, things, when we're not disappointed. Right? I've had a good week. haven't experienced disappointment this week. That's unusual, but you know, just use your imagination. Maybe we've gone all week, we haven't experienced much disappointment, and chances are maybe we haven't called on Jesus very much either. <laughs> because we tend to call on the Lord when we need Him, not when things are going well. We use Jesus more like an insurance policy. Hey, we got him. He's over there. If things get bad, we can call. We can whine. We can cry out. Where are you when I need you? But hey, things are going well. The kids are actually doing, kind of kept the rooms clean this week. And my boss hadn't got after me. And, you know, things seem to be, we're just feeling pretty good. We can kind of coast a little bit. We're not, it's easy. I'm not saying it always happens that way, but it's easy in that sort of setting to not be particularly attentive to how much we must depend on to be defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus shows up when we're disappointed. Because this is the time when your life feels like it's coming apart. I want to renew you. I want to show up and I want to make you whole. I want to show up and I want to fill you with my consistent character. I want to make you complete. I want your life to flourish. I want your life to thrive. And I don't want your flourishing to be dependent on your circumstances. That's what Jesus wants to say to us. I don't want your thriving, your flourishing, to go up and down, to wax and wane, to get tossed around based on your circumstances. I want you to flourish in the midst of disappointment. I want you to flourish in the midst of testing. I want you to flourish when it does feel like your world is coming apart at the seams. Jesus says, I can give you the grace to do it. When He does, we respond to that in faith. Puts that faith to work and reorients our lives around Him. James, that reorientation is expressed in single-minded devotion that seeks wisdom from God. Verse 5, if any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God. He's generous. He doesn't begrudge the gifts He gives to His people. Ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting. 
For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed around by the wind. The doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Clue in on that double-minded phrase for a moment. One of the ways that we can think about wholeness, holiness, the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our life is the difference between being double-minded and single-minded. Am I just all over the place? Circumstances happen and I get distracted and I'm on a good track until something happens I didn't expect and then all of a sudden I'm over here, I'm doing this and I'm not focused on the thing the Lord's called me to. Jesus wants to make us single-minded. This is one of the ways that John Wesley in our Wesleyan tradition talked about holiness. Like single-mindedness. I'm focused on Jesus. If I'm focused on Jesus, it doesn't really matter what happens. If I'm focused on the Lord, if I have my eyes on the crucified and risen Savior, my circumstances don't define my reality. Jesus does. My eyes are on the If I'm single-mindedly focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, My kids can talk back and that doesn't impinge on my identity. My coworkers can malign me, treat me unfairly. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Single-minded devotion. What if the church were committed to single-minded devotion to Jesus. Like, that's what he wants. That's what he's after. I think it's harder now than it has been in a while. Because distractions abound. I left my phone over there. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go work on a sermon for a little while. Oh, somebody clicked like on Facebook. <laughs> Oh, I've got to get some stuff done in the yard around the house. Oh, but there's this other thing. Oh, but I forgot about that. Oh, but... Our distractions abound. And we're not double-minded. We're triple-minded, quadruple-minded. Like we're just all over the place. And the one place we're not is on Jesus. And the Lord wants to come and say, Look... I know there's a lot going on. Feels like waves in a storm all over the place. You need to put your eyes on me. Single-minded focus on me. All of those things will become they will be transformed into places of peace. Because they won't be things that rip your identity apart anymore. They'll be places where you can become a conduit my perfect love. So ask for wisdom. Focus on Jesus. And you'll find when life disappoints that God is at work to renew more and more and more. And He never stops. In each circumstance, He finds new ways to renew things that maybe 10 years ago we didn't even know needed to be renewed. <laughs> you know, a lot of 
A lot of folks have a similar experience. They think, you know, I'm walking with the Lord, feeling pretty good. And then they get married. Whole new level of self-denial, right? A couple years go by, all right, that's good. We kind of figured this out, doing pretty good. And then the kids come along. <laughs> whole new level of self-denial there, isn't it? <laughs> all, there are things, when I look back, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I had no idea that Jesus needed to work on. And I expect 15 years from now, He will have revealed things that He's got to deal with that right now I have no idea it's coming. And He'll use some circumstance somewhere to renew those things. The question is, when He does it, when He wants to do it, are we going to be double-minded and distracted and not focused on what He wants what he wants to do to renew us? Or are we going to say, all right, Jesus, I don't know what's coming, but whatever comes, I'm singly focused on you. You've got all of me right now. You've got all of me. So the invitation is an invitation to reorient your perspective by grace. Towards God and His purposes revealed in Jesus. The invitation is to move from that being identified by what I do or who my parents or grandparents are, or what my name is, or where I'm from. Those things are fine. But is Jesus at the top of the list? I can allow him to reorient the way I think about myself, my identity, where my mind is focused, where my eyes are focused. If I can allow Jesus, if Jesus can just reorient our focus, we will find life disappoints us. He will be faithfully at work day in and day out, to renew us in His perfect image. Doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> James goes ahead and says, right, it's going to be hard, actually. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean trials go away. It means Jesus uses them to make you like Himself. It'll be easy will be good. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.